fantastic visuals created for these films. Obviously, there's great characterizations and wonderful ideas in terms of how things look and how things move. But without the sound, those things fall flat. Well, the magic of a movie like this is so strong that people don't realize how much of the sound is manufactured from scratch. Every detail of the soundtrack has to be thought of, has to be recorded. The dialogue, the sound effects, the music, it has to be because so much of the world, so much of the sound world doesn't exist and certainly didn't exist on the set. This movie doesn't even exist until it's finished. Because it's a fantasy and because it doesn't exist anywhere else, it needs that seamless quality to make you believe in what's going on. And one of the most powerful factors uh, is the soundtrack. Uh, the sound effects to make everything believable and make it real and tangible like it actually exists. Hello, Star Wars fans and Moof Milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 157 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And we are diving into month two of Phantom Menace Year. Phantom Menace Year. Phantom Menace Year. (laughs) Just keeps going. Hopefully it will last forever. I never want Phantom Menace Year to end. Two down, ten to go. It's pretty exciting. I can't wait until we get to the end and there's a whole episode just dedicated to Jake Lloyd's haircut. Oh yeah, I'm trying to grow my Jake Lloyd haircut out, but it's not working so well. So <laughs> I can dream. I can dream though. You got a couple months till celebration to get the perfect look. Yeah, I'm aiming for some like a Rick Oley kind of. Tribute look, you know, who knows? That would be good. I'm just going to end up looking like Rex. So that's the best (laughs) I can hope for. For month number two here of Phantom Menace year, it's only appropriate that we tackle one of the most important parts of the Phantom Menace, the sound of the Phantom Menace, which seeing it in the theater in May 1999, that sound, especially I think back to, and we're going to get the, in much more detail with this as we go, but the pod race and 
Sebulba's Pod Racer. I remember sitting in the theater in Theater One in Studio 28 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, THX Sound and Sebulba's Pod Racer making the seats shake. Yeah, because I think up to that point, it was like Jurassic Park was the big sound spectacular of just how loud and crisp and clear that movie was. But then, yeah, Phantom Menace comes out with the pod race and it's like, it's so loud and it's so clear and it's so awesome. I can still hear it in my head. Spulba's pod racer, it was like, I want to keep watching this movie forever. <laughs> please, please, pod race never end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the other thing too, which isn't even a, a sound effect as much as I still love the fanfare from Phantom Menace. Like, it's like the loudest rawest just biggest version of the fanfare and it was so good they used it for all three prequels and i think i still have trouble adjusting to the sequel trilogy fanfare because it's a much more refined gentle version of the fanfare than we got for the for phantom menace well even when you go back and you watch the original trilogy that that phantom menace opening blast that blast was setting you up for what you were getting through all of Phantom Menace. Just a kick in the teeth of Star Wars. <laughs> faster, more intense version of the faster, more intense original. And the louder and more extremely version of the audio. <laughs> it's, it's like I want to imagine John Williams is conducting and Rick McCallum just jumped up on his podium, pushed John Williams out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Alright everybody, let's do it and let's kick some ass. Here we go. Boom! <laughs> Well, then he snuck in the back and pushed the sliders up all the way on the mixing board <laughs> when no one was looking. If it's too loud, you're too old. Dude. And he pushes all the levers up. Yeah. <laughs> Put some sunglasses on. He's the guy in the Memorex ad in the chair with his hair blowing back. I just rickrolled the entire audience. McCallum out. All right. So let's talk about the sounds of the Phantom Menace and pick up where we left off two sound episodes ago back where the sounds return the Jedi. So after Jedi kind of ended Ben Burt and the team at Sprocket systems, they were moving on. They were moving on in a lot of ways. They were starting to make the transition to go out to Skywalker ranch, start Skywalker sound. And they were just exhausted after three movies doing the sound for the NPR radio dramas, the Ewok movies, the droid cartoon, the Ewok cartoon, Ben Burt, and Star Wars all needed a break together. And Burt welcomed it. I mean, you look at Ben Burt's filmography, kind of up until the special editions, he wasn't doing too much. I mean, he worked on, like, Spielberg's Always and a couple, like, he worked on, like, Blue Planet and some nature stuff and kind of laying low and building up Skywalker sound over there. Well, that was the time he was working on Young Indiana Jones Chronicles a bit, right? But he was almost doing more editing and writing and directing, like, kind of doing non-sound things is interesting because that kind of clear uh, led the way to him doing more editing in the prequels. But yeah, it was like he was trying to learn some new stuff and just get a break from just audio. And building up Skywalker sound. I mean, they were moving into their own 140,000 foot technical building with entire rooms for post-production sound recording and mixing and 30 sound editing suites and, their whole building they had within the Skywalker Ranch complex, it's, you know, it's the dream with 
where other filmmakers could use their facilities, and there was a whole scoring stage where bands and musicians could record. So as the special edition started gearing up, and there was, you know, the talk of this new era of the saga starting to get ready, Ben Burt one day sat in a screening room and watched all three of the original films and what was his quote there that he was overwhelmed? Yeah, he says, I went to the theater one day and ran all three films, and frankly, I was a bit overwhelmed. Time and gray hair had given me a new objectivity. I no longer looked at the films and saw what had not been accomplished. Instead, I saw and heard all that had been successful. It was inspiring, and the creative juices began to flow again, along with an eagerness to tackle the creation of a new movie armed with powerful new technical tools. Yeah, it had to have been insanely exciting for him because like here we go back to star wars and kind of like just how george lucas looked at the special editions too of like well how can i do all the things that i imagined but just was impossible for me to do at the time and now all the things i imagined are possible i mean same way for ben burt like to be given such a wider palette of sound on a much wider palette of creativity just in the movies that had to have been extremely exciting yeah especially since as much as digital technology kind of allows you to do so much more with the visuals it's almost even more powerful what it could do for audio because you think about like when you're editing a movie you're only ever watching like one scene at a time but when you're you know you're doing the audio you have you could have dozens and dozens of tracks of different audio files and in the past when you would have to edit that stuff by hand like you know splicing tape and bouncing recording multiple tracks down to one or two tracks so you could have enough things to mix like going to digital was such a huge speed up of what they could do time-wise and then just what was even possible that yeah it had to be so exciting to go back to the old stuff and do the things that you never dreamed you'd be able to and then just yeah try to imagine what you could even do going forward with the prequels so around this time at skywalker sound enters matt wood who becomes a very important figure in the future of Skywalker Sound. He started at Lucasfilm in 1990. And Matthew Wood, interestingly, has a very similar background to Ben Burt. His grandfather worked in a radio. Supposedly his grandfather had tons of reel-to-reel tape recorders. And they'd go to his house and mess around with them. And Matt Wood's father worked a lot in Japan. And once, I guess, brought him home a tape recorder where young Matt Wood recorded Star Wars from a VHS, and he would slow it down and speed it up. And then I guess in the mid-'80s, his family got a Mac computer, and he used that a lot to manipulate sound. And, you know, very, very similar to back when we did our Ben Burt Day episode, how Ben Burt was just a weirdo young kid messing around with sound and, like... Playing things backwards, speeding things up, slowing them down, yeah. George was developing a product called uh, SoundDroid, which was the first sort of non-linear sound editor that was going to be made for the computer, and that was Macintosh-based. And it, it, it ran on top of the New England digital hardware, the, the people that make Synclaviers and PostPros, and so it was a Macintosh-based uh, editor for that, and they needed a tester. And so they just called the games division and said, give us your best QA guy. And so they, the guy nominated me, so I came over here and started working on that uh, with, on the development team for a few years. And that uh, eventually uh, shows like uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles 
and uh, this other Robert Redford film called Quiz Show I ended up using that technology, and so I ended up working on project-based films after that. And it sort of started the digital um, sort of revolution here at Skywalker, you know, because those were some of the first films that were done on digital. Mm -hmm. And then that blossomed into using Pro Tools, and uh, we, we had an all-Pro Tools show on Phantom Menace. We did that all, every element of the film on, uh, on Pro Tools. <laughs> Ben Burt and Matt Woods started working on Phantom Menace for real in about November 1997 with Matt Wood really bringing Ben Burt up to speed on what could be done digitally, not using scissors and razor blades and tape recorders. Ben Burt still broke the script down the way he always did into categories and while they were planning out Phantom Menace, he decided that he needed around 1,500 new sounds. <laughs> new sounds. Just a, just a couple. Like we talked about in the, the Sounds of Return of the Jedi and the Sounds of Empire episodes, he had a team that he would send out for those movies and kind of track down new sounds. But Matt Wood was, I feel like, perfectly happy to go out and do that Ben Burt stuff and just... You know, record ceiling fans and people flushing toilets. And <laughs> well, they they totally had the master Padawan Jedi relationship with Ben, teaching Matt the ropes, but then Matt still helping him, yeah, adjust to the new technologies. Working with uh, traditional editors who have caught on magnetic-based film and have, have been teaching them the the tools of the digital trade, and at the same time learning their trade on how you do editing. So it was a it was a nice trade-off. It was a great environment for that, like learning from the masters of sound editing and then being able to teach them something I felt valuable too. So it was a great dynamic to have. And that's like with Ben, it's been fantastic like that. I, used, I mean, I, some of the sound effects, I, I used to come through here and listen to just some of his sounds when he wasn't in the room because I was just so amazed by some of the stuff that he created over the years and, and like, you know, the lightsabers and TIE fighters and X-Wings and all that stuff. <laughs> And Ben Burt, around this time, like we said, he was editing the Phantom Menace's animatics, all the, the previous stuff. And it's kind of like it's the dream of what he was starting with Return of the Jedi, where he was more involved and the planning and the set building and all that stuff, where here Burt was able to develop sounds as he went along editing the previous stuff. Yeah, which is just kind of a cool thing, because I don't think that's something that happens a lot in most movies where you have your audio department editing the visuals to make the audio cooler. But that's just, I think, what's so neat about the Lucas Benbert relationship of they both acknowledge the importance of the audio as much as the, the visuals in the story. And then they work together to make sure that they all just seamlessly work. And it's cool, too, with the relationship between Bert and Matt Wood, where now Matt Wood is leading the sound on the Star Wars sequels. He's so involved. I remember reading a story about the premiere of Rogue One before the film was screened. Matt Wood was in there in the theater checking the sound before it was shown to an audience. You know, like that level of knowledge and caring, how vitally important that is to the whole process and the finished product. I mean, I know we all wish Ben Burt was still around more and doing more today, but we're in very good hands with Matt Wood driving things over there at Skywalker Sound. Matt Wood carries the torch well of his Ben Burtness.
Usually there's about a thousand different recording projects on each Star Wars film. I've been building up a library of sound for the past 25 years, ever since the first film, when I roamed into the desert to uh, tap a radio tower guy wire to get the sound which became the basis for all the laser guns. Okay, so what do you say we dive in and we start doing what we do and going sound by sound through this thing? We, as always, we've got to give a huge shout out to J.W. Rinsler's Sounds of Star Wars book. Yeah, we can't say enough nice things about this book. If you don't have this book, buy this book. If your friends don't have this book, buy them a copy. Buy two copies. Keep one in your car. You can never go wrong with this book. And we just can't leave it alone because it's so good. And if you don't know, if for any reason you don't know, if you're just listening to one of our sound episodes for the first time, this book comes with a speaker attached on the side of the book where every sound that's talked about in the book, you can play it through the speaker on the book. And there's a headphone jack if you need to hear them in higher quality or you want to stay married because you can't stop listening to this book in the middle of the night in bed. You can put your headphones on and you don't have to stop. So. Ben Burt thought of everything. <laughs> it's the best book ever. <laughs> All right. So what's our first sound here? So it's Phantom Menace. What's the big new thing? It's battle droids. The first sound are battle droids firing their blasters. Oh, it's like sweet, sweet music. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh. Where, where do you go from after that? Of course you go to Battle Droids Talking. Roger, Roger. Which it sounds like that went through some some experimentation. I think at one point they wanted to record all of their words they would say separately and kind of composite them together, which is actually very similar to how like automated uh, phone services work where you'll call and it. A few years ago, they didn't sound as natural, and it was almost like you could tell it was just a bunch of words spliced together. The showtimes for Volcano are 7, 9, 11. Yeah, so originally they were going to go for that, but eventually, uh, what did he say? They uh, The battle droids needed a little bit of intelligence and I think a little bit of a soul. And that's Ben Burt's voice, right? As the battle droid. I believe so, and he came up with the Roger Roger and uh, he also performed some of the initial motion capture, too. I think they're like butt sticking out duck walk was from a Ben Burt capture that some of the balls were the tracking balls weren't quite right. Or or the uh, when they brought it into the computer, th- something was out of sync and they kind of went with it. That was another one where before I saw Phantom Menace, I, I think I've talked about it many, many times. About a week before the movie came out, I had read the illustrated screenplay. Almost fell off my couch when I got done reading it. I was like, this is going to be the greatest movie of all time. But then actually going to see the movie, we had no idea what the battle droids were going to sound like. And I remember right there in the first five minutes when they were like, Roger, Roger. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) what's what's happening here? Because you got to think before that, what talking droids did we have in the original trilogy? We had C-3PO, of course. 2-1-B, take care, sir. EV-99, 2-1-B. When skinny, weird droids talk in Star Wars, it's always solid gold. And we've been blessed with battle droids. And that's a cool thing now, talking about like the Master Apprentice 
relationship between Matt Wood and Ben Burt, now Matt Wood is like Mr. Battle Droid. Through all of Clone Wars, Freemaker Adventures, I mean, that, that Star Wars Lego All-Stars with Roger and his his biography he's writing. Yeah. That's all like Matt Wood comedy genius. He was the battle droid still on the one episode of Rebels, right? He's the battle droids in the Battlefront game. Yeah. He's the entire droid family. He's General Grievous and all Grievous's droid children. <laughs> and I still, I probably have said this before, but I, there's something about the battle droids being so goofy that in a way is even more terrifying because they're just these bumbling, goofy robots that are programmed to kill you. <laughs> and they're like <laughs> tripping and falling and making weird jokes while they're murdering people. It's just a strange just juxtaposition that I don't know. I think I think it's great. It's it's some it's some Star Wars magic. It is. And it is weird now being 20 years later like I remember before Phantom Menace coming out where it was like these are the new stormtroopers. These are going to be iconic and at the time you're like, yeah, these are droids. They're a lot, they're kind of weird, but now twenty years later, it's like I can't imagine anything but the battle droids being in Star Wars. Like they are iconic and they are they're timeless. It, you know, in the <laughs> aftermath books or in Roger in the Lego stuff, we we sort of now love battle droids in a weird way. Like the, we have great affection for battle droids, and not just us. We like the two of us, like Star Wars fans in general. We love battle droids. It's true. I, I never thought they would be in Battlefront 2, but they are, and everyone loves it. So the world the world is catching up. <laughs> All right. What do we have next? <laughs> so keeping the droid the droid party train going, we got droidicas rolling. Oh, God, here we go. Okay. That's the sound of a party. What's, what's going on there? In this case, their wheels are the sound of skateboards ridden over cement in the hallways of a high school. The droidicas are as extreme and cool as you think they are because really they're just skateboarding inside the school and they don't care what the school <laughs> says because they know they're the coolest kids in school. Teacher can't stop me. I'm a destroyer droid. Just when you were getting used to regular battle droids and Phantom Menace and you were like starting to catch your breath when these two roll in, but it's like, man, these are even cooler than the droids two minutes ago. Just keeps just keeps going and going. This next sound is the one that one that really killed me on opening night. I don't know. I can't explain why, but it's droidicus firing. It's number one on the pop charts. <laughs> it's the hot new jam. The interesting thing with them is it sounds like they're saying those were just sounds they pulled from the library. Like those were just sounds they had waiting in the wings. So they still have that familiar Star Wars blaster sound, but kind of slightly different and slightly more intense, I think. There's some hotness that Ben Burt was sitting on. It's like a hot little heating pad that he had underneath him. (laughs) He's like, hold on. We need some droid kits firing. I got you. All right. What's up next? Next, we have the queen on the screen. So this one's great because this is another callback to the Flash Gordon roots of Star Wars and George Lucas's fascination with the the Flash Gordon serials. Basically, Ben Burtt's goal was to emulate a sound effect from the old Flash Gordon show 
uh, whenever they turned on a view screen. So Ben says uh, he loved the musical tone they used in the old serial for the tuning of the view screen, but I couldn't identify the sound. By chance during episode one, I heard a recording of a flute that suddenly triggered a recognition. Of course he did. Yeah, right. He was like folding his laundry or something. And, uh, oh, that's it. Is, is that a flute I hear? That super sci-fi fantastical sound is just a flute. Cindy, Cindy Lowney, who's married to mixer and sound giant Gary Rydstrom, got her over with her bass flute. Did a bit of experimenting, and they got that Flash Gordon sound. Oh, to be a fly on the wall that day. We're suckers for sci-fi movies with flute playing in them, so this is right up our alley. Yeah, and if you go back and you watch, so all those Flash Gordon serials are all on YouTube. Go back and watch just like 10 minutes of any of them, and you'll see that it's like exactly the way Flash Gordon is talking to everybody in that show. Like a little like mirror view screen comes up and and oh, there's Ming the Merciless. Okay, what do we have next? Ain't no party like a droid party because a droid party never stops. We are at 178, the Stap flyby. You can just hear that. Yes. If they're down here, sir, we'll find them. <laughs> Use caution. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. Yeah. And how, how do you make battle droids even cooler? You have them fly around on stuff, and they're flying by. And this was like, I think, the sound superstar of Phantom Menace was uh, Ben Burt and his electric razor inside of a metal salad bowl, which I think there's a video out of him demonstrating his razor salad bowl technique. <laughs> Um, and this is one that'll come back, I think, later for some other sounds. But yeah, the old salad bowl and electric razor trick is the snap flyby. Everybody does it, right? I remember when I was like, just a boy and got my first electric razor and salad bowl. Son, it's time to teach you about life. Let's get the salad bowl and the electric razor and do some cool droid sounds. Many sounds are created from everyday objects. For instance, if you take an electric razor and a salad bowl and run the razor around inside the salad bowl. You get a wonderful resonance of a sound. Sp speaking about learning about life, what's up next? Big boss of life, the Boss Nass Head Shake. Sweet, sweet music. Sweet, sweet, beautiful sounds. Oh, if only Boss Nass could sing me to sleep every night. <laughs> the Boss Nass advice hotline. I really want to ask my boss for a raise, but I just don't know if it's the right time. You shall do it. <laughs> Thank you, Boss Nass. You are the boss. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, shaking a half-filled hot water bottle. So, hate to ruin the magic there. At least it's a wet sound from a wet source. Well, you tell me Boss Nass isn't real. Well, he's real. They just they had to dub his sound in because the, there was too much on-set noise when they recorded him. Well, it was underwater in a bubble. It's, it's hard to get a good sound on set in a bubble underwater. So, speaking of underwater, what's up next? The wonderful Sando Aqua Monster. <laughs> 
I think this is the best mysterious explanation of all the sounds in the in this whole book and of all the things you can't believe they really did to record them. But this one is Ben Burt's three-month-old daughter, Emma, who he says had a growl in her voice when she was crying. I thought, I can use this. So he recorded her and pitch shifted it way down. And the giant aqua monster is a three-month-old baby. And in the book, there's a picture of the baby. And she kind of looks like the monster, but a little bit tinier. So I decided to make the sound for the biggest monster in the film from the smallest and cutest person that I know. And I went to my four-month-old daughter, Emma, who had an interesting growling cry. I recorded that sound, then ran it through the computer, made it as deep and as roaring as possible, and then dubbed it in for the sound of the big underwater sea monster. Emma now has got to be about, what, 23 years old or something? Yeah, when's she going to start doing conventions? <laughs> Is she in college somewhere? Does she introduce herself? You, you may know me. I was the voice of the Sando Aqua Monster and a menace. She, she could be the next Howie Hammerman. <laughs> Go back, listen to the Sounds of Return of the Jedi for that one. So next we have uh, 181, the Naboo Cruiser. watch the movie and this isn't one that immediately stands out where you're like you'd stop someone on the street as people often do and ask hey what's your favorite sound from phantom menace people aren't gonna say the queen ship landing but this is one that's according to the book ben burt spent a lot of time on right and has a very kind of unique story yeah it sounds like it's a mix of just kind of classic airplane sounds that are kind of using phase effects to kind of give them some kind of motion. But the real weird one is that the landing gear is actually sounds from icebergs. So something completely not related, but it all, I mean, it sounds like I would imagine a Chrome spaceship would sound. So whatever works. Only Ben Burt is going to like, hey, hey, Brad, we need uh, the queen ship landing in a big open field and a sand field and Tatooine. You know what'd be perfect? Icebergs crashing. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting to use all my iceberg tapes, so. <laughs> I wanted to create a special sound for the Queen's Starship engines. I found that sound in Alaska. I recorded a glacier breaking apart and the ice falling into the sea. I used it for the backfiring of the Queen's ship as it lands on Tatooine. So next we have, uh, this is a super, super, super sci-fi crazy sound. It's Watto's Bell. This one's a mystery. They don't say how they made it, but there's a good quote from Ben, uh, actually from Matt Wood saying, uh, this was added really la late in the game to give the shop a kind of 7-Eleven feel. I can't argue with that. Well, I've always liked it because I've always just thought, Watto's out flying around. He's out in the back. He's got that whole 
behind the shop with all the, the ships, you know, that they take parts out of and stuff. And if somebody comes in there, Wado needs to know, you know, and he'd come flying out. I'm just imagining now with the 7-Eleven field, do you think they had a Slurpee machine in Wado's junk shop? That's why Anakin was so happy. It's like, I, I hate being a slave, but I get free Slurpees. He's drinking all the Slurpees. You need to take it easy with that, Anakin. Yeah, those uh, pina colada ones will mess you up. I personally, I stick with the Coca-Cola. I'm a classic kind of Todarian, you know. I don't like to get too crazy with the cotton candy and all that junk. <laughs> Maybe a little cherry in my cola, but... <laughs> That's how Wado lost all of his teeth. <laughs> too, too many Slurpees. Brush your teeth, kids. That's the moral of the Phantom Menace. Yeah, unfortunately, he sold all the toothbrushes from the junk heap and... <laughs> He just had Nubian engine parts, but no toothbrushes. If Qui-Gon would have been like, I have 20,000 toothbrushes I can trade. Toothbrushes? <laughs> now, now we're talking. I like you, Outlander. Come with me, huh? What do we have next? All right. Next, we have the Sith hologram. I want that treaty signed. My lord, it's impossible to locate the ship. It's out of our range. Not full of Sith. This is my apprentice, Darth Maul. He will find your lost ship. You might say, like, okay, well, that's just that's just people talking from the movie. But it's absolutely fascinating listening to that just on its own because you start to notice when you just listen to it and not seeing the visuals how much Palpatine's already musical voice that he has i mean like you watch return of the jedi and he's practically singing in that movie but with them like slowing it down in the end it's even more musical and brings the point home i think when you're watching the movie you're not even thinking about how much audio is going on for the holograms in the back because it is kind of the background and you're listening to the dialogue but there's all these like wa- wavering sounds and there's a lot of sound to the hologram that i think you just kind of it's like, oh, I'm watching a hologram. I'm not even thinking about what it sounds like. That's just how it is when I'm in Star Wars. That's what holograms sound like. But it's a cool sound. And, well, and I'm a sucker for any clips of the Nemodians talking. So bonus points from me. But this was, you know, a classic Star Wars thing where there's some shortwave radio sounds mixed in there, which was, you know, part of the Star Wars sound palette right from the beginning. Yeah, going all the way back to Princess Leia's hologram message back in A New Hope. So speaking of sweet dialogue, what do we have next? We have Darth Maul. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. So that is not Sam Witwer, even though Sam Witwer has kind of taken this and ran with it in Clone Wars and in Solo. But this is the original Darth Maul actor that was only in Episode 1. The wonderful Peter Serafinowicz. Serafinowicz. Yes, thank you. Who was in Guardians of the Galaxy, Shaun of the Dead, Muppets Both Wanted. John Wick Chapter 2, the best stuff. (laughs) I think his name doesn't get thrown around as much for being the OG Darth Maul, the creator of the Darth Maul. Very particular way of talking that, like I said, Sam Witwer has kind of made it an art form, especially with Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, but it all goes back to his few lines in Phantom Menace and really making those few lines make as big of an impression as they could. 
And it was so cool too because I remember seeing pictures of Darth Maul before the movie came out. And I, if somebody would ask me, "What's Darth Maul gonna sound like?" I've been like, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, "I'm the general," <laughs> you know. But he comes out and he's like, "Yes, we will kill all the Jedi." You know, <laughs> it's like, "Ooh, that's even cooler and spookier." Yeah. Well, especially since he is like pure Sith rage, except for when he talks, he's very calm. This next clip has the best name. Of all of them, it's like, if you could see anything, what would it be? How about Darth Maul presses buttons? Can I just say right in here that this whole moment and these sound effects, one of my favorite parts in all of Phantom Menace, where Phantom Menace is my second favorite movie of all time, and this is one of my favorite parts and my second favorite movie of all time, just because I love how musical the sound of him pressing buttons is and John Williams music in the background is just that drums going on and then combined with the sound we're about to hear next. Yeah. Let's just play that one and then we'll talk about it all. Yeah. Cause like you were saying, it really is the buttons pressed in the droid sounds is like a little, little piece of music of awesome. And they, they talk about it in the book, but it's not in the sound there. But when one of those droids passes by Darth Maul, how it kind of talks to him. Like, well, and that's Ben Burt's voice again, like he did for R2-D2, doing a little bit of mixing some human talking in there to give the droid some personality. Yeah, I just remember in the theater being like, oh, 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 we got musical buttons, we got weird talking ball droids, and, and the mall's probe droids have a relationship back to A New Hope, right? It sounds like the, the idea was they're, uh, they're like built by the same people, so uh, they're kind of a lower pitched version of the original Death Star torture droid from A New Hope. They're like cousin droids. Yeah, how come they never made a Darth Maul bracelet that just played the sounds when you push the buttons, did they? Because that's what the kids really wanted. That's all I want. That's all I want. Sitting in class, no one's looking, you're just pushing your Darth Maul buttons. Even like an app on your phone, like, you know, the Apple Watch. Just give me some Darth Maul button app. It might be worth $300 for an Apple Watch if it could at least play Darth Maul button sounds. I'm going to go into the Apple store tomorrow. All right, this is cool, but does it play Darth Maul button sounds? You know what I mean. Wink. You want to make a sale? You got to make that happen. (laughs) I'm going to stand here with my arms crossed until you make it happen. I have $300 in my pocket that you can have if you can make it make Darth Maul button sounds. (laughs) All right, what do we have next? All right, we're uh, getting staying with Tatooine. We have the Tatooine crowds. This is good stuff. So what was it, like January 1999, Ben Burt brought a bunch of people into the stag theater in the tech building for this, right? (laughs) Yeah. He says, in every movie, there are always a few crowd scenes that can't be matched by anything in your sound library, so you have to go out and record new samples. 
And this is basically an example of Ben Burt directing the movie in a way because he had the crowd and he didn't just have them just arbitrarily yell and scream, whatever. He had uh, he directed them to do certain things that he can based on what he needed in the movie and in a way that he could mix them together to create even bigger groups of people. Where are these 50 people today? Yeah, I hope they they started like a club and they meet every year to reminisce about the best day of their lives when they became the crowd in The Phantom Menace. If some of the rumors for The Mandalorian are true and we're going back to a classic Star Wars planet, I hope some of the street life is as good in that as it was in The Phantom Menace. Because, man, Phantom Menace, just the people walking around the streets of Tatooine. You got a skull in a spacesuit walking around Tatooine. You just got weird space dudes all over the place. Well, and Phantom Menace is, is a nice middle ground between the kind of sparseness of the original Tatooine in A New Hope and then just how congested Jedha is, where there's a lot going on, but it's almost overwhelming, where Phantom Menace, you can kind of, you can take it all in. You can count the space frogs hanging from racks. So Jakku was a pretty good. Jakku was a pretty good blend. That's true. Jakku, Jakku was pretty good. Yeah, it was right in. It was right in the uh, desert crowd sweet spot. All right. So here we go. Now we're going into the tour de force of sound in the Phantom Menace. The ultimate, possibly one of the greatest. I would say not even possibly, definitely one of the greatest moments in Star Wars sound ever, the pod race. Maybe the greatest pure sound scene in film history. Let's call it. Let's say that's (laughs) what it is, except for the Death Star lever getting pulled. This is the greatest moment in sound in film history. The pod race. So Lucas's direction to Ben Burt was basically, let's go nuts, but let's give each pod its own personality. And something I thought that was really fascinating, reading about the sound of the pod race on a whole, is that Burt did a little bit of like magic here, where he purposely built up the intensity as the race goes on, where when we cut back to Foden Bede, uh, the announcers, it's Skywalker! When you cut back to the pod race after that, Ben Burt's talking in the book about how every time they cut back, the sound of the pod racers is, has become more intense. So every time when they would go back to the race, the race could always get louder until it cut back to the announcer again. It's like we are saying in the beginning of the episode, the, something like the complexity of the pod race, where every pod has its own personality and its sound, and it's continuously building in intensity as the race builds in intensity, almost secretly. That's something, I don't know if it would have been able to, to have happened without that marriage between sound and editing and everything being done collectively and together and communicating and informing each other. Yeah, and the pottery still is amazing that you can watch it with your eyes closed and you can still tell what's going on. What does it say? Ben Burt spent almost two two years on the pod race. Just the pod race. <laughs> I, I believe it. Not, not that he wasn't doing other stuff at the same time, but like that's a lot. I mean doing the sound for the pod race is basically like doing the sound for an animated movie too. Nothing had real sound. Right. They weren't recording the real pods warming up on set or anything. Right. Well, that kind of brings us to our first sound, the pod race engines warming up. Start your engines. I 
good. It's so good. <laughs> well, it's just great thinking about, you know, how they set the race up in the movie, too, is we get the scene with everyone revving their engines so you can see what all the different pod racers look like and you can hear what all their engines sound like. So then when you get into the race, you already have a frame of reference of who's who and what do they sound like. So even if they're in the speakers behind you, you can subconsciously know, oh, okay, it's that guy. I can, I notice, I know his engine sound. So, so good the way the pod race is set up. It's like we said in the very beginning of the episode, like one of the most distinctive sounds, unforgettable sounds is Saboba. And you know when Saboba's coming. Even if Saboba's pod goes past the screen so fast and just a blur, you know, like, well, that was Saboba. Watch out, Saboba's coming. So our next sound, Anakin Startup. <laughs> Which this one, George Lucas was very specific to Bert, what he wanted. Ben Bert saying that they got together and George said, go out and create, make stuff. Every pod have its own personality. For Anakin, he had very specific ideas where he's like, I really want a Ferrari. It's got to be a Ferrari sound. It's one of those cases where in the, with the pod race, they kind of got sounds from the things you would think you would get sounds from. Race cars and speedboats which gives it that believability, but they were still able to make them sound otherworldly and not like we're just li listening to race cars. And it sounds like one of the one of the tricks, which I think was similar to the snowspeeder sound, he discovered some cement tubes sitting out in the middle of the field and he placed the microphone inside one of the cement tubes. And that's how he recorded some kind of weird ambiance to mix in with the race cars, similar to how they recorded the, the cars driving through plastic tubes for the uh, snowspeeders. So our next sound is still Padres, but it's something going on elsewhere at the Padres. We have Jabba Flick, Nuna Scream. <laughs> that little Nuna frog, that is one death scream that thing has. That's why he waited till the cars are racing by, because otherwise it hurts his ears when they scream when he, when he kills them. So, <laughs> so next we have uh, one of the crashes, the death of Team Toe. I never realized that Team Toe was that guy's name. The weird kind of rabbit dude. I have an action figure of Team Toe. Yeah, he's a little rabbit pig guy with wearing goggles, and the, he's in the big uh, the circle pod racer. Yeah, he, he, yeah, I always remember him because he's in the circle one, but I guess I never realized what his name was. I must have missed, I think that was the second wave of pod racer figures. Poor Team Toe. And for like a lot of the pods exploding, they use two tools to enhance their efforts. They say the Kaima and the Wave Table Chopper. The Kaima is a sound synthesizer with many capabilities. So Bert constructed a circuit in it that would listen to a sound, such as a race car pass by, and then generate an oscillator tone, a sine wave, which would pitch itself to match the Doppler charge in the spatial sound of a race car's roar as it zoomed by. When tuned properly, the circuit could also add a synthesizer tone that blended in naturally with the race car engine and gave an oral illusion that it was the vehicle's natural sound. Everybody got that? <laughs> yeah, doing the crazy stuff. A sine wave's just like a ooh kind of sound. Like the Death Star bass drop is a sine wave. So just 
that sort of a pitch. I don't remember if it's in Phantom Menace with some of the other signs, but def- or in Clones, but they did similar stuff for some of the uh, spaceship sounds too, where he could kind of mix in the synthesized pitches with the real pitches to get that kind of otherworldly yet still familiar effect. Up next, we got a pit droid going through an engine. Classic Ben Burt doing it the old school way, right? Yeah, the pit droids were R2-D2 style, Ben Burt baby talk, and cute noise-making toys, basically. So he would take that and, uh, yeah, kind of mix that again. But, yeah, very low-tech way to get the the high-tech droid sounds. But it fits perfectly with the goofy Three Stooges droids doing their thing and getting sucked into an engine. Up next, Pod Racer flyby, Saboba. That is the hot sauce right there. Yeah, it's like getting chased by a washing machine. The fastest washing machine you've ever seen. What are, what are we kind of hearing in there? So Sebalba's pod, it sounds like, was a combination of P-51 Mustangs, so classic airplanes uh, flying by, slowed down, and then put through the wavetable chopper to kind of get a rhythmic pitch to it, or a rhythmic sound to it, and also mixed in with the big cigarette boat that Matt Wood recorded. So a little bit of boat, a little bit of plane, a little bit of processing, you get the magic that is the Sebulba Pod Racer. We always talk about the Star Wars sound machine and that button for the Sebulba Pod Racer. You're having a party, you play that Sebulba Pod Racer. People just can't help but get up and dance. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Disco ball drops, the fog machine comes out. Here we go. <laughs> All right, what do we have next? The Tuscan Raider gunshot. <laughs> Looks like a few Tuscan Raiders are camped out on the Canyon Dune Turn. There's not a whole lot about that in the book, but it sounds like that's a real combination of, uh, like we were talking about earlier, the a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new. Probably some classic Tusken Raider sound effects in there. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of the uh, his library of, of ricochet sounds. Remember, was that in uh, the Return of the Jedi one? That he went out and he mastered the ricochet effect? I figured out the ricochet. I finally mastered it. All right, next we have Anakin moving up. Look, here he comes. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, you you listen to that part and like right after 3PO gets done talking about two more circuits, it's it's like silent for like half a second. And then you just hear the pod racers come like roaring back in at like top volume. And you get a nice, uh, I think, a yippee from Kitster in there because <laughs> he's saying what everybody's thinking at that moment. That's kind of Kitster's role in life. He, he's the voice of the audience. He's, he's, he's the man of the people. Kitster feels what we feel. We're all Kitster. There's a little Kitster in all of us. Everyone, even dogs and cats and plants and trees. 
and the birds in the sky. <laughs> so, what do we have next? Next is Sebulba throwing a wrench. Massive, so much going on in there. It's a massive, especially you get the guy. That is one of my favorite sounds in all of Star Wars. I every time that comes up, I get a smile on my face. Love it. And this is another one where there's not a lot of specifics, but it's a lot of the same things they used for all the other pod race things, and then uh, some Sebulba sounds, some. It's it's just layers and layers and layers of things created just on top of each other and just selling you this absolutely ridiculous idea of a bunch of aliens in this desert drag race going on. <laughs> Being pulled by giant floating engines. Beautiful. This next one is an absolute masterpiece of sound. Anakin's pod trick. quick control thrust and he's back on course like listening to that back in the beginning of the episode where we're talking about how phantom menace was ben burt embracing the digital technology for the first time much like george lucas was doing things never possible before still keeping it in that star wars galaxy but taking it to the next level and something like that like anakin's pod trick there that we just heard that's something that would never been able to, to be accomplished in the old days. And it's gorgeous sounding. Well, I mean, just the pod race in general would have probably killed somebody to try to edit and organize and blend that many different sounds for that long where they're 100% carrying the action at that point. Yeah, I wish they would just put the pod race in theaters every year for Christmas. <laughs> then you have to chill the rest of the movie. It's like, get your family for a night out. We're just going to go watch the pod race. In the biggest, loudest theater we can. Here we go. Next, Pods at the End. This Anakin and Sabalba locked together, and Ben used that excuse to bring back some of uh, some classics, the train coupling sound used in the Indiana Jones truck and mine car chases. So little indie love there. In the book, Ben Burt's talking about how this is one of his favorite sounds, train couplings that he used in the Temple of Doom mine car. <laughs> oh, you're the best, Ben Burt. Oh, goody, I get to bring back my train coupling sound. A little bit of Temple of Doom and the pod race, just, just sprinkling a little bit more sprinkles on top of that donut. Next, we get a little a little palate cleanser after the, uh, the pod race of just some little Qui-Gon goes a long way. Always remember, your focus determines your reality. Yeah. Yeah. After experiencing the sounds of the pod race, we need to be reminded of that. Because now we're, we were unfocused. Okay, Qui-Gon, you brought us back. Yeah, we were, we were feeling some weird feelings. We were leaving our bodies. 
we need to focus back on this movie we're trying to pay attention to. My vision was starting to blur, and you just told, fo- okay, focus. My focus determines my reality. Thank you, Qui-Gon. Well, you need to focus on this next sound, the kadu grunt and snort. <laughs> yes. What, what are we hearing there? So the kadu is a sound from the blowhole of a whale from the San Diego marine world. Also, grunted sounds are some slowed-down pigs. Same recording as the Gamorrean Guards, so distant cousin of the Gamorrean Guards. You learn something new every day. It's canon, Kadus, and Gamorrean Guards related. Maybe Gamorreans are like friends with the Gungans. That would be cool. Let's tell that story. Where's that book? Yeah. Let's get that at Galaxy's Edge. Let's get some Gamorrean Guards and some Gungans walking around holding hands together. Why not? Yeah. I'm down with that. Let's do it. All right. What do we have next? We're uh, back to the old bowl and electric razor. Here's the Gungan Shield and Trade Federation tanks. That's what I hear when I close my eyes and try to go to sleep at night. You can't. You can't be in a bad mood when that's on on a loop. It's Calgon. Take me away, and I just. You hear that? In a trance. Somebody's like, I'm feeling blue. I'm going to come out of your house. I'm going to play you the Gungan shield sound effect. That'll cheer you right up. Who who would have thought that so much of the end fight in Phantom Menace is just Ben Burt in a bowl, an electric razor? Because the ships, the, the tanks is that, the shield is that, the staps are that. It's just, that was the original title of Phantom Menace was electric razor and a metal bowl. But they changed it at the last minute. Who knows, maybe by the time this episode comes out, we'll know the title for episode nine. Probably not, but it's going to be episode nine, Electric Razor and a Steel Bowl. Yeah, we're bringing back the bowl and the razor. That'll be the first like official set video, and it'll be like real bowls, real electric razors. <laughs> you know, 20 years of Phantom Menace, you know. All right, up next, Darth Maul's lightsaber. <laughs> Classic way. Sitting in a movie theater in 1999, you just slide out of your chair right onto the floor. <laughs> I'll see you in the front row. I'm sliding all the way down. Good night. Just wave into everyone as you sl- as you slide under their seats. <laughs> Don't mind me. This movie's great, isn't it? Well, and this is fun. You know, now 20 years later, that's kind of they started with Maul of kind of slightly changing the lightsaber sound to make it a little more raw and a little more evil and they kind of took that to the extreme with kylo ren's saber now with uh, force awakens and last jedi so with this one uh he, he says he made one that was similar to the original but faster with a rapid rhythmic motion to it like you were saying i like that kind of with this he started giving very much like the pod racers like each lightsaber kind of has its own personality and we definitely see that in the um uh, in the sequel films yeah, because even with this bird says the lightsa- the Jedi lightsabers have a warm, almost musical sound, while the villain's lightsaber sounds a lot more dangerous and nasty, a little like a buzzsaw, which, yeah, they went all in on the buzzsaw with Kylo. That's what I named my lightsaber. It's called the buzzsaw. So next we have the generator force field. <laughs> This part, just sweat, just dripping down my face. 
God, they're separated by some red electro field. Qui-Gon's just taking a nap. I've literally almost ripped the seats, the the armrests out of the seat. Qui-Gon is force meditating. Oh, my God. What's he going to do next? I had my shirt back on. You know, the first half Phantom Menace, I took my shirt off and I watched the whole movie with no shirt. Well, almost the whole movie with no shirt on. I had my shirt back on during Qui-Gon meditating. And I don't know how that happened. Because it was probably too heavy to take off because it was soaking up all the sweat. By that time, I was having an out-of-body experience. I was watching the movie from the top of the theater. I was was actually outside in space. But anyways, enough about me. This has a great story, a great Ben Burtt story. The story is as good as the scene in the movie it's the audio for. So apparently, Ben Burtt's neighbors all know that Ben Burtt is Ben Burtt, and Ben Burtt does Ben Burtt things. One of his neighbors said... I have a broken ceiling fan, and it's making the coolest noise. So Ben Burt came over and recorded it, and that was the basis of the sound for the force field, is Ben Burt's neighbor's broken ceiling fan. So I want to live in Ben Burt's neighborhood so he can record all the broken stuff in my house. And when are you going to fix the garbage disposal? Well, I got to get Ben over here to record it first, and then, then I'll think about it. One day I got a call from a neighbor who said that his ceiling fan in his apartment was making a funny noise and I should come over and record it. I immediately ran over and recorded this oscillating motor, which had a funny sort of beating sound to it. But I found a really interesting use of that sound as the force field in the beam corridor. sound you hear there is really just a broken ceiling fan all right we're going full circle back to some droids we got the droid starfighter flyby i was so happy in revenge of the sith that the the vulture droids came back in full force because they were one of my favorite parts of phantom menace and their absence in attack of the clones Still hurts me to this day. They're not in Attack of the Clones at all, are they? I could be wrong because I kind of black out a little bit whenever I get to the end of Attack of the Clones. I think they're not in it. There's all the other cool new ships, but they must make vulture droids on a different in a different factory. We're gonna get twenty messages next <laughs> after this episode comes out. Screenshots. It's fine. You'll make my day. You make my year. You'll make Phantom Menace year even better. Up next, Nabu Fighter Startup, which is our last sound. So let's make it count. Again, you can just hear the music. So the Nabu Starfighter is a. Uh, Sound is based on a, an actual rocket. Which makes sense. It's got a very rocket kind of look to it with the pointy edges and everything. It's pointy and chromey and yummy. The sound of the Phantom Menace. Looking back overall, what do, you, what do you take out of the sounds of the Phantom Menace? I think similar to A New Hope, there were a lot of iconic sounds created for Phantom Menace that carried over to the rest of the prequels. And now, 20 years later, are right up there with... The original lightsaber sound, the original blaster sound, sounds from the original trilogy. The battle droid voice is is a classic sound. Everything from the pod race, I mean, it's just all stood the test of time. 
no one's making movies with crazier sounds than Star Wars still. So Ben Burt and his uh, apprentices are carrying on the tradition well. Yeah, I think it's a really good point that very much like The Phantom Menace itself in every way, it it set a new course that is still being felt in the new Star Wars films. I mean, Clone Wars, the sounds in Phantom Menace were all over Clone Wars. And without doing what they did in Phantom Menace, we wouldn't have the sounds that we have today in the in the the new era of Star Wars. And and the pod race is a freaking masterpiece. That's <laughs> Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Because you know the truth. The sound, in my opinion, is what brings the film to life. The sound binds images together. The sound can create a world beyond the frame. It can extend the width of the world that we're in, and you can hear things around you and off screen, and therefore add an even bigger sense of scale to what's already there visually. said that hearing is believing and that's quite true with the star wars films Jerome St. John Blake. Um, I played Masamida, Rune Harko, Oboransesis, and a few other guys in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And I'm standing here with Gabe from Blast Points Podcast and uh, looking forward to my debut appearance on his show. Watch this space and may the force be with you. All right, so we are one month into. The Blast Points Army over there on Patreon. And it is time that we give a special thank you to each and every one of you members of the Blast Points Patreon Army out there. Yeah, thank you so much for supporting the show and allowing us to do some special stuff for the subscribers. So here we go. We want to thank Darren S., Matthew H., Richard B., Olivia H., Ethan R, Brittany A, Angelo Z, Kevin R, Terrence B, Stephen E, Amy S, Brad T, Steve M, Christian B, Craig M, Michelle W, Neil L, Sean M, Amy W N, J P R, Tom C, Patrick P, Tracy C, Ian R. Aiden L. Matthew C. Brandon W. Dave H. Jason B. San K. Nathaniel S. Marie W. Joe W. Joe 2. Stephanie C. Predator Minute. Mario P. Brandon H. Rodney G. Jonathan P. Eric H. Marissa M. Todd E. Amy R. John S. John N. Jeff K, Matt B, Drac, 
and Katie. Thank you so much, each and every one of you out there. We appreciate it so much. You're helping the show so much in so many ways. I hope you're enjoying the bonus content. We just had uh, our Willow bonus episode up there on Patreon. Yeah, in honor of the re-release of Willow on Blu-ray and digital. And we will have another moving commentary out for you all on the 15th of February. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be something that we've talked about a lot on this show before. I wonder what it's going to be. Maybe it's Hmm. Death Wish 3. Could be. All right. Stay tuned for that. And thank you, everyone, once again. Thank you. 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 Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. And we say it every single week iTunes reviews. You leave one over there on iTunes. If you listen on something, Apple, write a little something about the show, and we will read your review on an upcoming episode. And don't forget to check out Blast Points on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and sign up for the Blast Points Super Chill Group, where it's always Blast Points all the time. And that about wraps up episode number 157 here. Month two of Phantom Menace year, the sounds of the Phantom Menace. Yeah, if you get a chance, just listen to Phantom Menace. Feel, don't think. (laughs) Use your instincts. Just lay there on the floor with your eyes closed. We'll be back next week with another fun-filled episode. So until then, thanks everyone for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. important i think that it be in the distance you know where we get something that reverberates so you hear it go so there's two things going there for anakin you've got the uh there's a which is a you know a, a, you know a high-speed gear shift going on a Porsche, and then there's a which is just on top of it cut it right as a the loudest sound yeah, yeah.